Salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast, where we scorch the history books and take back the word harlot one episode at a time. This is a show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. And we try not to get too sidetracked with rants about putrid patriarchy. I'm Kara Mia, a mom of three. And I'm Emily, a fur mom of three. So go grab your pork rinds or your kale chips. A glass of wine or a big old mug of tea. We're not judging. We will keep you entertained while you wash your dishes, wash your feet, or wash that man right out of your hair. This show also contains alcohol, some very colorful language, and eyebrow raise, sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to 2021. And welcome to Harlots of History, where the century never matters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that our tagline? I don't know. It could be for at least today. Also, we're really behind. Uh, we're sorry. Next next year, we're definitely taking a break during the holidays. Oh, my gosh. We learned our lesson. We're literally, yeah. To be honest with you, we're recording this the morning we're supposed to release it. We're so behind. We both, like, yeah, we, we tried to put too many things. We even did an extra episode for the holidays. I don't know what we were thinking. Two of them. We did two extra episodes? Yeah, for Thanksgiving. And oh, what are we doing? Okay, we're, taking, we're taking a whole month off next next year. Yeah, Sorry, but guys. we it just it's see, I absolutely love learning and researching. So it was really fun for me. Yeah, just, and also yeah, it you, was you, like my time away from my kids. I was like, kids, be quiet. And I was like, <laughs> like a crone in my bedroom researching. <laughs> we were that that's Karamia the crone over there. <laughs> the young crone. I am I'm holding on to 29 years old until the last possible minute. I still like I'm like 29 and a half. Like I still have half a year. I don't know you're why not, I feel you will, once you turn 30, you like forget you're 30. And once you turn 30, like time is meaningless. Like I don't know how old I am. Like, do you? I don't I'm some I'm at some point in my 30s. So someone's like, How old are you? Be like, I don't know. How old am I? <laughs> or it could be, be like, or so it could be sexy or sultry, or it could be like, I don't know how old am I? <laughs> or super lost. <laughs> like, I don't know. What's my name? Like, I don't know. How old am I? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it goes so many different ways. <laughs> I know, well, people probably be like, uh, 22. And I'd be like, yes, that's correct. Guys, Emily, I think we brought this up before. I am two years younger than Emily, and Emily gets carded everywhere we go. And like, as soon as I like turn like twenty six or twenty seven, they'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, you're okay. Uh, card, please," because Emily has no. It was a, like you were getting, you weren't getting carded. This like it was like I have. It's what's it's because Zelda. Sometimes I wouldn't get carded when I had Zelda with me because they're like they don't like people don't think that if you have a kid out at a bar, you're gonna go. To, you're not gonna go to a bar and order a drink with a kid when you're like nineteen. True. And okay, to be clear, we're not taking Zelda to like bar bars. We were no, taking like her to like restaurants or like cute patios. Yeah, I was actually thinking of like a French patio restaurant. I used to take her and have a glass of wine. Yeah, we're not like taking a baby to the bar. Calm down. <laughs> oh my God. 
Okay, so we are just going to hop right into it because this is a super fun episode. So Emily and I are going to really try to get on top of like our themed months. Some people might find them annoying, but more so I think what it does is is it forces us to look in an area that we necessarily wouldn't and explore it. So this January is our month of quote-unquote medieval mistresses. Ooh, and, yeah, and I, I didn't even know what medieval times were. I was like, is it now? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. So just, yeah. for, just for people who don't know, there are the low, high, and late Middle Ages. Um, today, we are going to be looking at the late Middle Ages, which is between the 13th and the 15th century. Okay. So, yeah, because a lot of people get confused because it's, you know, the low, high, just think of it. It's, it's literally a peak and it's literally a peak, like to do with everything, including women's rights, including mm-hmm. everything. Everything's a peak because it was like, and also remember just to put things into perspective, the black death happened in like the late 1340s, ended in 1352. So it's actually super interesting. Look into it. It actually was the cause of a lot of women's rights in Europe. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. It, I mean, it was kind of like World War II here. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, no men. So every, like, pretty much it was like, you know, okay, yeah, sure, you can inherit this land. Sure, you can have this business. Sure, you can do this job. Because if it's not you, then who else? <laughs> Yersinia pestis. That's the name of the bacteria that causes the plague. Oh. So today, we are going into 15th century France. And also... Okay, this is something that I still struggle with. When I say 15th century, I mean the 1400s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you know, I, something. Yeah. I like. I still have to remind myself. Doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Yeah, I was thinking 1500s. Okay, 1400s. Okay. Yes. Okay. So in early 1440s, King Charles VII of France did something unprecedented. <gasps> he presented a woman who was not his wife at court, and dun, he gave done done right and a position that had not existed before the position of a titled royal mistress oh so she's like the og this is like the og mistress yep and that is right today we'll be talking (laughs) about agnes sorel but literally okay for all of us like gross americans it looks it's agnes sorel but i'm gonna be saying agnes sorel because that's how they pronounce it agnes sorel Agnes. <laughs> Agnes Sorrel. <laughs> so she was, uh, it's also, she's also known as the maîtresse in titre or titled mistress. So like literally that's what they're like. She's, she's a titled royal mistress. And then it's really mean, but like the ones who aren't titled, they're like petite maîtresse. Like they're like, they're like, you're not, you're like a, you're like, like a little mistress. Right, you're off to the side. You're not even. Yeah. So, but. So mistress. That's cute though. Yeah, it's just really, it's just really interesting. I want to share this is petite mistress, right? <laughs> Little mistress, it's like cute. <laughs> I mean, maybe offensive, but <laughs> I mean, not to us. Yeah, we don't. We're taking it back. <laughs> my kids, my kids treat me like a little mistress. Like you're not important. You get no pension from me. I'm not going to give you crap, but I'll take everything. <laughs> That's how my cats treat me. <laughs> But anyways, I'm sure that this action meant little more to King Charles than giving him easier access to his mistress and making her happy. But it literally created a a tradition for centuries, that of kings and the royal mistresses. It gave more women a chance at power. As we know, 
as we studied, even Emily did, Madame de Pompadour, when mistresses, the royal titled mistresses, would sometimes yield more power than the queens. They basically controlled the whole country in a lot of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And this is this is this is the first. This woman set the benchmark. It's also crazy to think that we rarely judge kings, especially French kings, without learning about their mistresses first. I feel like titled royal mistresses really give us a unique way of looking at like the personality mm-hmm. or the virility of a king. For example, King Louis the Sixteenth, Marie Antoinette's husband, was really criticized for not taking a royal mistress, let alone any known mistress. Hmm. And because his grandfather Louis the Fifteenth had six titled royal mistresses, and his great great grandfather Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, had four. Yeah, that's, that's and that's not, even to say, that's not even to say like the rest of their mistresses. They all still Same had time? like, or just like throughout their life. So some some of them have overlaps, um, you know. But like most of the time, it's like one starts and the other ends. Yeah, like, wasn't it kind of like it's like okay, your title, and then they either like die or do something to piss you off, and then someone else comes in, or they just kind of like you know if get old. They age with the king, and the king's like, I want someone younger than me. Yeah, whatever. What, but anyways. Yeah. But like Louis the Sixteenth was like really found because like he they were like what's wrong with him you know he's not like giving us heirs because remember Marie Antoinette and him didn't have like children for like five years so they were like you know everyone's kind of like okay he's not taking a mistress and he wasn't maybe he wasn't sexual yeah but you know back then that wasn't the option for the yeah, heir of that the wasn't brother. like a thing yeah 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 and also being a titled mistress did give you like status. It was, Mm. it was like, it's like a, you know, a quasi status. Like you were, you like, you were in society with a title. You were in court. You were someone at court. Yeah. And like, you could make a lot of money. Like they gave like riches, jewelry. You could at the time. You could. And it wasn't, it wasn't always lasting. No. Um, Yeah. That was, that was probably usually, yeah, that's very much situational, but yes, it did give you a lot more security for sure than just being a mistress. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, Agnes was born to her noble parents in 1422. Um, just really quickly, this is something I learned. The difference between royalty and nobility. Oh, yes. I don't know. Tell I'm not, not going to go too deep into it, but like, you know, royalty is pretty much someone of royal descent, right? So like King all the way down, Duke. Prince, Duchess, Count, Viscount, you know, all those. Nobil- uh, the nobility is like kind of like the upper middle class. Like okay. they hold like titled positions in the town. And like they for, have like land and stuff, like big fancy houses, but they're not they, like, like from extent. a king. Yeah. yeah. And also like you could purchase a noble title. Yeah. That's what happened with, um, with Madame de Pompadour. She was like, became the Marquis. Yeah. And, and it's also really interesting because there's like a ton of different types of nobility. Mm-hmm. So when you say noble family, just kind of think upper middle class type of deal. Yeah. That's, and that's something that I, I kind of like, you know, you kind of always knew in the back of your mind, obviously look more into it, but like, you know, I was just kind of wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. So nothing of course is known much about her until the sunlight of King Charles the seventh affection shown on her because <laughs> of course you never know anything about these women until it's like yeah 
So she was the, uh, you know, through her father's connection, she was actually maid of honor to Isabella, the Duchess of Lorraine and Renee of Naples. Isabella is a really cool person. She was actually consort. You know, she ruled the kingdom while her husband was in jail. So she was like, so of course we can't, we can't, nothing is said about this, but I think Agnes was probably definitely somewhat influenced by this woman because Agnes was just this like, really powerful force as soon as she really got into King Charles VII's court. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's any, circ- it's not circumstantial at, at all, the fact that she was with a super strong woman and then she became the super strong woman. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just, yeah. And yeah according, no, to, according to the records, because there is records of how much she was paid, it was a, quite a bit less than the other ladies in waiting to the Duchess. So it can be assumed that she was like actually much lower in rank than okay. other ladies in waiting. So this like, you know, this woman who was paid the least in the Duchess household is the one who got the attention of the king. Ooh. So just to show like it was kind of in a one in a million chance that she got to this position. Uh, yeah. It was she was about age 20 or 21 when she first met King Charles. And it is usually agreed that they met in 1443 when the king regained control of Toulouse, the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, Agnes came out as a maid of honor with her household to salute him, you know? Maid of honor. It's kind of like a lady awaiting. Okay. I was like, they're not, there's not a wedding. I was, no, 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 nope, nope. And he didn't stand a chance. And I think (laughs) we can understand why for a time she was employed by a woman whose husband was in prison. Agnes was known as the most beautiful woman of the 15th century. Like she fully embodied the beauty ideals of the time. She was pale, blonde, blue-eyed. She was literally known for her breasts and her thin waist. And like I actually recognized her like boobs immediately because of my art history obsession. Really? Yeah, because they're super high and round. And I remember, uh, I'll have you look at this painting when we're talking about her later, but she was used as the model for the Virgin Mary, very famously. Oh. Yes. Uh, King Charles, on the other hand, was said to have beady eyes, a long nose, protruding lips, and was bow-legged. He was also Mm. said to be undersized. I was like, in what way? That they never said. (laughs) (laughs) We could all, (laughs) we could all guess. But he was also two years older than her, but power oh, is only two, two only decades. Two. Oh, yeah. oh, you said two, two de- years. Sorry, two decades. Tw- oh, almost 20 like years. years. Okay, no, there you go. 20 years. Okay. And King Charles was obsessed with her. The future Pope Pius III observed. He fell so much in love that he could not even spend an hour without her. Whether at the table, in bed, at council, she was always by his side. And... Before we continue, I want to quickly interject what book I literally read for this. And it was really, really awesome. Obviously, every book, read your different sources because, you know, sometimes like the research was amazing, but obviously all research can be a bit biased. It's called Queens and Mistresses of Renaissance France by Kathleen Wellman. And it was really interesting. Okay. Really good. And I was just telling for any of anybody who's researching any mistresses, it's really cool because she talks about some more unknown ones, which was really cool. cool. Yeah. And just to put it into perspective, Anya Sorel, there's only one shorter podcast episode on her. 
in English. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk briefly because this is really important. And Emily, ask as many questions as you need to. But this is also, I think, really important for us to learn about because um, it has come up in our research already and it will come up again. But let's talk briefly about the world of King Charles VII of France okay. at this time. So he inherited his throne in the middle of the Hundred Years' War, which is okay. the fight between two different houses, the Plantagenet Lancaster house from the Kingdom of England. Lan- and the- oh, I was like, Lancaster? No. <laughs> Lancaster, yeah. They and then pay their debt. Right, always. And then the Valois of France. And this fight was literally a civil war over who got to rule the kingdom of France. I didn't know that. It was, I didn't know anything. Okay. So it's a civil, it was, just think, it was a civil war of succession. Literally, it was royal English cousins of French descent fighting for the crown of France with their French royal cousins. So just imagine cousins fighting. It was literally, that's what it was. Fighting, was wasn't it 117 years long? Something like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. exactly 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. And his father, King Charles VI, was known to be mad and unstable. And it is now believed that he had paranoid schizophrenia. But, like, literally can't blame him for anything because his inner family circle had been undermining his claim to the throne and inciting him to war since he was a child. Yeah. They've been, like, literally manipulated. Like, literally, there is documented occurrences of his family, like, literally tricking him to go into battle at age 12. It must have been so difficult to, like, be someone that had mental health, you know, or like a mental illness or mental health issues back then. Because it's like people just called you mad. And, like, oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Like, and I actually just recently learned about Juana the Mad from Spain. And it was like, uh, no, she definitely just had postpartum depression. Like, it was yeah. really hard for me to learn about. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, story for another time. Okay. But uh, there was reports of a severe mental breakdown with him. Like, it's actually, like, you can, like, see it happen because he wasn't able to, like, then properly run a country. Obviously, like, I can't run my household when I'm having a hard time. Like, yeah. Like, can you imagine running a country? <laughs> um, having a diva moment of exhaustion. Right. Two different factions then started scheming and fighting with, for the crown of France in France, in addition to the kingdom of England fighting. So it was the Burgundians and the Armagnacs. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so uh, uh, I'm probably butchered. It's Armagnac, I believe. So it's two different factions fighting within France in addition to, like, England fighting for the kingdom of France. Burgundians. That's, like, the name of the big people in um, Gulliver's Travels, isn't it? I don't remember. Burgundians and the, I don't know, the, the Liputians. I bet it had nothing to do with this war. It probably yeah. had everything to do with this war. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll look it up. Yeah. But poor baby um, Charles VII grew up as the fifth son in the middle of a civil war, watching all his older siblings die. And his mother even schemed against his claim for the throne. Oh, so he's like like the fifth in line to the throne? Fifth son, yeah. Okay. And his dad was Charles II? His father was Charles V. Or sorry, Charles VI. And then, sorry, this is so many guys. His father was Charles VI. He's Charles the seventh. But they, well, their names weren't, they just took those names when they became kings, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And after experiencing a pretty massive defeat from King Henry the fifth of England, who desired and had a claim to the French throne, King Charles the sixth, but in reality, it was his wife, Isabeau, 
signed the Treaty of Troyes, which made Charles VII, who we're talking about today, who was the Dauphin, heir to the throne, no longer the heir. Okay. So um, his, so what, pretty much what this treaty did was it's, it, his sister, his sister Catherine of Valois, was married to the King Henry V of England. So pretty much it was like, you know, French royalty. French English, Catherine married English. Henry. And, she, okay. and their heirs would rule France as well as England. I think I actually read this last, read something about this last night when I was looking like some people up. Yeah. Okay. So it, it just comes up. So pretty much, you know, Charles the seventh was like in line. He's a Dauphine. Remember the Dauphine is like the heir to the throne. The Like it's like, it's beyond a French prince. It's like the French prince heir apparent yeah. type crap. So then his dad was like, but his dad was kind of pressed against the wall, but you know, pretty much his dad slash his mom signed this treaty. And they were like, yeah, you are disinherited all the heirs from your sister and Henry the fifth of England, who was like, actually like a cousin, like fifth removed. I'd be so mad. Yeah. So, um, and also Charles the seventh was not really favored for the crown because of his physical appearance, which I talked about before, but he also had some, pretty big trauma triggers himself. I'm calling it that because I don't really want to disrespect it. Um, he was reportedly terrified of strangers mm. and also of floors because I guess a really bad floor collapse had happened in a castle that he was in. I guess I couldn't find more information about it, but like um, how terrifying to have a floor collapse where you are in a castle. Yeah, I'd be terrified of floors, too. And also, like, I'd be terrified of strangers, too, if everyone's been plotting against you. Literally his entire family. Brothers, like, cousins, wouldn't know mother, father. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of PTSD. Again, we're not therapists, but. No, no. But he also uh, was very indecisive, which we all know leads to inaction. We've all experienced it. So he had, like, no money, no army, and only one-fourth of France of the territory of what we know as France, like, you know, and he would drown his sorrows in month long binges of drinking, gambling and mistresses. Charles as like, Oh, go ahead. Oh, so, okay. So he's, um, so he, he's just like, he doesn't have any power right now. No. And it's just kind of hard because it's like, there is a faction. So he's not the king. He's, he is, but he's, he's like, he's tech. I'll talk more about it. I'll explain it more. So Charles, as the near-deposed king, resisted crushing defeats, sieges, battles, and the death of his paranoid schizophrenic father, King Charles VI, and the death of the English King Henry V. Okay. So they both died. Um, one, uh, King Charles VI, uh, I forgot exactly how he died, whatever he died, but King Charles, or Henry V, died of dysentery, which I feel like is just like a blanket term. Yeah, it yeah, it is. It's just like some probably like bacterial. Right. And so he was said like time and time again that his mental state, Charles the Seventh, is like depressed and apathetic. Mm. Like, why aren't you doing anything? Kingdom of France needs you. That's pretty much but also it's like his world is crumbling around him. Like it's yeah, like, and has everyone's been fighting against him? Like I'd I'd be like I don't I'd be I'd be apathetic too. Be like I don't give a shit. You guys have I don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit about you guys. You guys are like mean. And you ready to freak out? Yes. And who? No, someone else. Oh, sorry, but I thought you said Agnes. No, but it wasn't. No, Agnes. I said yes. Okay, yes, cool. I'm ready like, to freak okay. out. And who would come to save the day? 
women. Throughout his life, Charles had been surrounded by strong, almost dynastic women. His mother and mother-in-law, because when he was young, he was sent to live with his mother-in-law. So his mother... Isabeau and his mother-in-law, which is like, I believe her name is Yolandi of Aragon or Yolande, because the French E's don't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> um, they were more capable and powerful than most women in their positions. So he's been living with Yolande, Yolande of Aragon since he was 10 years old. His mother-in-law? Yeah, because he was sent there because he was betrothed to their daughter and pretty much his, because, you know, his fifth son, get out oh, of her Aragon way. Oh, Catherine of Aragon, mm-hmm. Henry VIII. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. yep. Yep. So like kind of, I believe it's, it's uh, somewhere in Spain, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So like, uh, Fran- Isabel and Ferdinand were yep. like, yeah. Yep. So she I love learning be- about, I love learning about her. Even yeah. though she was a religious fanatic, I still like, no, they, were, they were like kind of monsters, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So Yolande must be like maybe their mother or grandmother or some. Somehow related to them. Right? Yeah. And his reign would actually be marked by powerful women. And it would make him seem weak because, like, oh, you're having women undermine your power. Or really, I choose to see him as, like, accepting, maybe? Like, sure, come in and help me. Joan of Arc walked into his chamber one day and said, In the name of God, gentle prince, it is you and no other. She vowed to drive the English out of France in the name of God. It was literally because of Joan of Arc that he was able to claim the throne and increase his powers in the borders of France. My gosh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Right? But, of course, because he's a butt, he did not continue to support her rights because she wanted to keep fighting and retake, uh, like, Paris. And he was kind of like, uh... I don't know. Sounds like a lot of work. And then he abandoned her to the English when she was captured and burnt. Oh, okay. You're an asshole. Yep. And Joan's role in his life actually made people like always then look to the woman that was behind the king when some huge positive thing happened. Like if there was some big change or the king did something like something very valiant or whatever. It's kind of like, who's behind him? He sounds like a milk toast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Because they knew it wasn't him. He's actually jokingly called Charles the well-served. Yeah. Oh. Right? Yeah. I like that. And actually for two years, actually, sorry, actually for years, there was two coordinated kings of France, Charles and baby Henry VI. He was like two years old when he was crowned the king. What? I bet. Okay. So I was so Charles- after, after, after all the babies, after all like the dads died and everything, remember? Charles VII, who we're talking about today, became the king. He was like, you know, the one that we've been talking about. He was also the king. And then baby King Henry uh, the Sixth of England was named the king. Obviously, he had like regents and people who. Okay. So there was two kings. Yeah. That were claiming. There's Can you still, imagine like still fighting with a baby over who you. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, like Emily, his kingdom was literally sandwiched. So like the English had all the territory north of the Loire. And then they also like, remember your, remember, remember your wine regions. Uh, yeah. Then he, they had all of like the area of Gascony. Okay. So he was like literally in the middle of the English, like just, for a while. Can you imagine if like someone came up and was like, okay, Karamia, you're the queen, but also Edie's also the queen. 
you had to like fight with Edie Hoover, who's like, going to um, be the queen. If you don't stop being queen, I'm not going to change your diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Edie's my 18 month old, everybody. Yeah. Um, but the really crappy thing that came from this whole like incident, pretty much, because the Hundred Year War was all about succession, became in French law that women could not rule because Henry V. Remember the original king of England that we were talking about claim to the throne was through his great grandmother, Isabella. Mm-hmm. Women could inherit personal property, but not landed property at the time, AKA women could not rule in France. Okay. It became like, this became fundamental French law because of the hundred years war. Jeez. And then we wonder why women had to find sexy ways to become powerful. Yeah. What else are we going to do? Right. So when Charles met Ag- Agnes, Agnes, uh, he was working his butt off ish. He had been, he'd been stressed. Let's just say he'd been stressed. I don't want to say he was working his butt off because Joan of Arc worked her butt off. Um, centralizing his power in France and building a modern army and the best artillery in the world. Literally, this was happening. Honestly, I think a lot of it happened while he was with Agnes, but like, let's just say he'd been stressed. His life had been sucky. He felt like he deserved a reward. He was married to Marie of Anjou, who gave him 14 children. Ah. But of course, because she was considered plain, he'd also like been, remember he had like lived with her and his mother, her mother and whatever, since he was 10. I think she was children. Right. And, but she was considered plain and she obviously was probably just a normal woman who felt neglected by his, her husband and was like second to like all his mental issues, his country. I had 14 of your kids. Right. And the war. She's not spoken about positively at all. Um, this could all probably be is probably, you know, kind of like strategic so that Charles VII could make room for another woman. Mm. So little is known about this queen compared to his controversial choice in royal mistress. But we do know that she was really gracious to Agnes, Agnes and was on fairly good terms with her. Ooh. Supposedly she had to manage Agnes's household as well as her own. And also, she was pregnant. I'll talk about this. Sorry. This is this part just upsets me. But the whisperings of strong women controlling the destiny of France because of a weak monarch seemed to be confirmed when Agnes entered. Because, you know, everyone's like, Joan of Arc, like your mother. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. Look at this woman. Look at everything that happened. Yeah, you're a puppet. Yeah. But enter Agnes. She presented her as the royal favorite at a very formal, very public royal town entrance. And when I was like, so they just walked into a town? No. <laughs> there was a joust and a feast. Oh, joust and a feast. Yeah, but I, I, this actually set a standard, too, for the time. Like, whenever the king wanted to present, like, a.k.a. this person's extremely important to me, whether it was a mistress or, like, a political favorite or something... Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, here's a royal entrance, a.k.a. a joust and a feast. <laughs> and But she was said to be the one that got him out of his depressions. His oh. first recorded instance of the king's fondness for her was in April 1443 when he left his queen pregnant with their 12th child Ugh. to be with her. What, 12th? So he yeah. came back to her. Well, it was a, the queen. Was remember, remember, Agnes, Agnes did not, like, he did not abandon his marriage. Okay. He just, like, he's, he's like, remember, physically left 
his pregnant wife to go be with her. Go be with her because Enes wasn't the royal mistitled mistress yet. So that was the first time he was like, I'm obsessed with this woman. She saluted me as I was like coming into the town. I really like her boobs. Yeah. Um, She's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Exactly. <laughs> totally. Having a diva moment. Yeah. Uh, her critics like to say it was because of her debaucherous and sexy ways. But many people thought she understood his childhood trauma and was a really comforting presence to him. He arranged yeah. her for her to be a lady-in-waiting to the queen, a huge step up for Agnes, and it made her a lot more accessible on a daily basis for the king. Agnes was more than just sex. Also, I'm so, I'm apologizing. I am literally trying to say the French pronunciation for a name that there's like no sound in in English that makes it sound like a gutter, like Agnes. Like, I can't do it every time. You're doing great. I'm like, I'm not French, but I'm sorry. I'm not a very guttural person. I think it sounds good. I know know what you're saying. You just call her Agnes if you want. But she was more than just sex. She engaged with the king with like politics and like so much more, setting the precedent for titled royal mistresses to come. She was not fleeting, but a permanent fixture at court. She was kind of like a new kind of celebrity. Cool. And it sounds like they had a like good partnership, which is did. like they really rare for you know, like husbands and wives didn't really have partnerships back then. It was like a or it was like a business partnership. Sounds like they had a good like exactly, yeah. that's exactly what I talk about. Yeah. She um attend although she attended functions with the king in place of the queen, she acknowledged their marriage. This actually helped to create the standard that queens are for procreation and political alliances, but then the royal mistresses were for love, influence, and support. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's something that we know of, you know, by attending functions that the queen should have been at, Anais's role pretty much made Queen Marie be seen like only as like maternal, like the fertile vessel, which really sucks for her. But like also, it's not Anais's fault. Like you can't really, also in this position, she probably couldn't really refuse the king. Right. Right. Yeah. And to show his affection for her further, he gifted her the Chateau of Butte. Like literally the like the house of beauty. It's like considered the, one of the most beautiful in France. Oh, that's and cool. We Chateau, it's not a freaking house. It's a castle. You gave her a castle. I'm in a castle. But it's literally called the castle of beauty. He gave her Aww. the castle of beauty, which is kind of cute. That's, that's cute. The author Chastelaine, you know, he was like a chronicler at the time. He said she had the most beautiful headboards, best tapestry, best linen and covers, best dishes, ring goods and jewels, best cooks, best everything. So she got what she wanted. <laughs> I want the best cooks. <laughs> I know, right? That's like the one thing I picked out of that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they then defined the new female role and dynamic at court. Remember, there had been no one like her in French court. Some like to say that women then exploited this role as royal mistress. But honestly, what other course could women really take? Yeah. Women's, that, mm-hmm. Right? So women's yeah. rights in the Middle Ages peak during the late Middle Ages, what we're talking about, because of the Black Death, as we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, of course, beyond simplified. There's so much more, like the cult of the Virgin Mary, all that stuff. But, you know, we won't go into that today. But then, of course, the church, academics, and nobility began to be threatened by women challenging the social norm. The poet Lamarche, which I also quoted earlier, Olivier Lamarche, said, it was time it was a time when women produced great noise in France. 
But also, it was really funny. I was reading this article, and this person literally said, everyone who was writing on like how horrible women were and like the sex, like the like the wiles of women were literally the aristocrats in the church. And she was like, one was celibate and the other one was so far removed from society. They had no idea what was going on. And it was like, literally so funny. It was like, literally think about it. The church, they were like writing about how horrible women are. And they're like, you're freaking celibate. What do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're like, well, women are terrible. You're like, um, have you ever met a woman? (laughs) Right. And, um, also letting you know too, Nuns were not encouraged to be taught to read. They literally, like, the only reason why nuns truly began to learn how to read, I, I, I believe it was because of the illuminated manuscripts. Like, they, like, nuns had to teach themselves oh to read during this time. Like, it wasn't encouraged. Like, nuns learned a lot of things through repetition and, like, verbal. Oh, yeah. They didn't know how it to wasn't, read. It wasn't, it wasn't the course for, but also, but think about it. Priests and monks were literally the ones that we know knew how to read and write and record history. And then but then their were. female counterparts weren't taught. Well, I feel like a lot of times people would like send women to nunneries and they're like, oh, you're doing something bad. Go be a nun. But also, it was also, um, it was also kind of like a place outside society. It was like, if you were like lower middle class, it was one way to ensure as a woman that your future would be taken care of if you didn't really have, you know, so it yeah. was asked. Yeah, it was it was honestly a safeguard for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. But so Agnes, in a lot of ways, truly was the straw that broke the medieval patriarchy's back. <laughs> Her position and influence led to a lot of general attacks on female roles in lives. Obviously, like it was like the misplaced frustration about this woman got transferred to like the basic population. Okay. Um so she filled the reportedly dull court with useful energy and people. She used her wit and charm to keep the nobles on the king's side. And it also did not hurt in the slightest that she was super hot. <laughs> and, oh, sorry. I, like I said, as I quoted earlier, the poet Olivia de Marsh, which I said I quoted earlier, I'm actually quoting now. Um, the king had recently elevated a gentlewoman named Agnes and placed her in such triumph and such power that her status was comparable to the greatest princesses of the kingdom. That's so, cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And Emily, right now, I want your computer. I want you to look up the painting called The Virgin Mary and Child Surrounded by Angels. Okay. What are the name of it called? What it's called? And it's by Jean Fouquet. Okay. So the Virgin on. Mary and Child Surrounded by Angels. And it should be a woman oh, with one breath. Yeah, her boobs out. That, well, also, it's not that wasn't that was supposed to be seen as very maternal. Oh, okay. Oh, also, yeah. Also, These are so round. But like, isn't she beautiful? That she's like that she's like the model for that, which yeah. really pissed off a lot of clergy at the time. <laughs> oh, I bet they didn't like that at all. Uh, but right, and she's beautiful to look at mm-hmm. and very stunning. Like she's not like the usual model. Very, like you. Like very like fine features and like she's like porcelain, yeah. And she set the standard of luxury that was a pretty much allowed to the royal mistresses. She wore sable, you know, like kind of like fur lined dresses with trains so long that people called them tails. Oh, I want one. I want one. Like, Can we get one. Was, I want one. Right. That was like a power move because she her train was longer than the queen's. She loved, like, a dramatic veil that went to the ground. 
Um, she loved silk and cloth that had real gold woven into it. She loved her gold necklaces. At this time, no one but the king was allowed to wear diamonds. It was a rule that was made by, like, a King Louis earlier. Um, and you had to dress according to rank and social norms. But she ignored all that. If you look at what women wore at this time, they would wear, like, kind of, like, like a V robe that showed like nothing but like a little bit of your neck. And then they would wear, those, you're talking about. They wear yeah. those wimples with that, mm-hmm. the, the, the veil over them. Literally mm-hmm. women just kind of looked like, an, like a queenly nun. That yeah. was like how, like how Royal or noble women dressed at the time. Yeah. And in would walk Agnes. All your sexuality. Yeah. Right. And in would walk Agnes with her shoulders, chest and her famous breasts, like all exposed. This is rumored but it's fun to talk about i like to believe it's true <laughs> it is like she would even expose like one breast and wear diamonds to like highlight it that's awesome that's what a badass bitch right and she's even said to be the owner of the world's first cut diamond because remember Whoa. like all diamonds were kind of uncut at the time i like raw diamonds but that's cool yeah and she is also credited with creating dresses with like laced up front openings that would reveal everything. And that's actually, it's that that's named for her. Um, it's called the Agne Sorel Corsage, which is like a waistcoat. Ooh. So it's like, it's like, imagine like a, a laced waist, like, you know, like kind of like a bodice, but like that's it's cool. laced up. You can kind of like leave it open. And, but like I was saying, those could all be very tall tales. I don't, it was actually very normal for women to expose their breasts at the time, like no, mm-hmm. uh, noble and royal women. But also, her beauty regimen, if it's to be believed, was snail saliva for wrinkles. She would bathe in donkey's milk. I mean, they do have the, the snail serums. Like, that's a big, I, like, I have a lot of those from when we were in Korea. Right? They, yeah, snail masks. And, and she would use ground up cuttlefish bones for foundation a really white foundation on her face and poppy petals for lipstick. Cuttlefish is good though. I've had fried cuttlefish before. They, they like sell them in Hawaii. Anyway, that's really good. Okay. Isn't that kind of cool though? So creative. Donkey's milk. I mean, I was like, I didn't, I guess like it makes sense. I was like, donkeys have babies, so they have milk, but I was like, I never actually heard donkey's milk before. I know. I never thought about it either. Well, it's like what people's milk would be a lot more like creamy. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, right? And yes. but like obviously because of her clothing choices and everything else, she was criticized by many because she was directly flaunting her sexual relationship with Queen. And I'm like, da doy. <laughs> king or the Queen? The King. Okay. Yeah. That'd be really cool if it was the Queen. Sorry. The King. Yeah. Directly flaunting her relationship with the King at the expense of the queen, blah, blah, blah. But she was actually a huge influence on French fashion, and she popularized a more revealing way of dressing. Like, it was literally her. That's like cool. I was saying, there's Anne Sorel bodice, which is a full-sleeved bodice with, like, a square neckline, and then the Agne Sorel corsage, which is that waistcoat that I was talking about. And this is so fun. By the 16th century, most women were wearing necklines that had their breasts, or this is old slang, Antique slang. Apple dumpling shops on full display. <laughs> Apple dumpling shops? It's literally what was like antique slang. Wow. I really like your apple dumpling shops. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm never saying breast. Oh, I'm going to call them apple bushel in your apple dumpling shop. <laughs> Let's make sure to say stop staring at my apple dumpling shops. <laughs> I just thought it was 
so, so, so funny. But also, really I don't that. remember at this time, but like the way that it was, it wasn't like directly showing your nipples, but like if you moved at all. Yeah, it was like it was like right above your nipple. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was not only modern in the way she dressed, but she was also rumored to be one of the first to use a fork at French court. Oh, it's actually called the devil's tool at this time. Oh, because it's like a little pitchfork. Right, right. I said, that's fun. Get me that oh. devil's tool, please. What do people use? <laughs> Spoons? Their, de- their hands. What? Oh, yeah. I've been to a people's time restaurant in like seventh grade and you had to like eat with your hands and you're, I remember being like, I don't know how to do this. Oh, you mean yeah, I, I avoided those. I like this, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, they do. I remember they do have those. Yeah. No, I haven't been. You like throw things on the floor. It was too, too chaotic for me. Chaotic, right? And according to French legend, she herself was a gourmand. She hired okay. the best for the king. Can you, can you imagine being a server in one of those restaurants? My heart just like dropped. <laughs> I no. did too. My, no, my heart hurts. Okay. <laughs> okay. But she also even spent time in the kitchen. Oh, herself. that's cool. And like, there's a couple of things that she really popularized. Um, like she that's kind of invented like um. she didn't have to invent them she had them um but auguste escoffier actually named many recipes after her and they all contain mushrooms sorrel oh sorrel that's cool and of course there are many opinions on the amount of power she had over the king and the country and in which ways king charles while she was his mistress was at his best and won many victories, which ended the Hundred Years' War. He was at his most accomplished for the years he was officially tied to her, which was officially between 1444 and 1450. Oh, okay. Um, so even those that criticize her have to admit she was really good for the king. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you mean that's what love and support can do? <laughs> yeah. this is, this is what support feels like? It feels so warm. <laughs> the king was said to have said, Sweet Agnes, the more honor you deserve, the cause being to recover France than what can be rendered inside a cloister of nuns or to a devoted hermit. A.K.A. She was amazing. He loved her. The amount of her influence on his personality and temperament was, like, astounding. As her biographer, Pierre Champion, said in his book, La Dame Debut, said, A man of 40 years, full of timidity, religion and scruples became near the beautiful and vivacious Anais, another Charles worldly, bold, gallant. Like it was like a literal flip. Yeah. She's like, became a different person. Yeah. Right. Anais was also supposedly a very religious woman who was very charitable. She was very conflicted about her relationship with the King. It is Mm. said that the Pope granted her a papal absolution, which forgave her everything. Oh, there you go. No one can argue that being a a royal mistress, a titled royal mistress, benefited her family and her. Her four brothers got positions serving the king. I was like, oh, she had brothers. Had no idea. No one said anything about them until it was like, oh, yeah, they got positions serving the king. They're not important. They didn't do much. Right. We don't know how her parents felt about her being a a titled royal mistress because before Agnes, being a mistress to the king was no guarantee for fame, fortune, position. Anais did have more security and influence than any French mistress before her. She was also, probably like cool with it because she no, like had all this power. You don't think to remember like royal mistresses or at the time before they were titled, just got like small pensions. 
really no security. Oh, okay. They were used and abused by the king. So yeah. it was very much like 15 minutes of fame, you're done type of deal, kind of, you know, before. Um, also, just the thing, her family really, like all her her lands and stuff after her time as royal mistress were all seized. So it wasn't really any guarantee for money, but I'll talk about that why. Um but just to show how important this role became as a titled royal mistress, do you remember when families paraded their daughters in front of Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, yeah. hoping they choose their daughter as like the royal mistress and elevate the whole family? Do you remember like how it became yeah. like Anais was the first? That's so that, crazy. Like, yeah, other royal mistresses before, but he was like she's the favorite, she's the this, and then she literally the title, uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was also fertile as well as she was beautiful. And each pregnancy brought more attention to her in the relationship. She had four daughters, uh, uh, all between uh, 1444 and 1450. And the first one in 1444, who she named Marie after the queen. Oh, that's respectful, ironic. I don't know. Respectful, maybe. Yeah. And he gave her more property with each birth. They were, like, illegitimate, though. They were. Not always. Uh, The public and the court were shocked by her, but the king's son, Louis, hated her. His heir hated her. Uh, She is actually blamed for ruining the relationship between father and son, but I think only they have themselves to blame. (laughs) He said that he wanted justice for his mother, and that there was even one time that he chased her with a sword when he found her in his father's bed, or he chased her with a sword till she took took refuge in his father's bed. All I know is he chased her with a sword. (laughs) He even reportedly said one time, by our Lord's passion, this woman is the cause of all of our misfortunes. (laughs) Is she, or are you just like a jealous little bitch? Charles banished his son, probably in part due to his hatred of Agnes, but most likely because he was constantly scheming against his father, the king. Yeah, also, like, stop chasing my, like, partner with the sword. Get out of here. (laughs) Right. And when Charles was off fighting with the English, which, of course, Agnes is blamed for, like, she's blamed, she's blamed or credited with, like, literally everything in the time that she was his titled royal mistress. Like, they're, like, he went to fight the English because Agnes incited it. And then like other people are like, she's the lady of peace. So it's like, it's like, I feel like they give so much weight, more weight to her actions than actually is deserved sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So he was fighting against the English in Normandy when Agnes went to visit him extremely pregnant. Either she wanted to stay present in his mind or provide him with support. There's even rumors that she was like telling him about a plot that Mm -hmm. to like kill him. Either way, he was not thrilled to see his pregnant mistress so close to a battleground. Yeah. He had her up in a nearby abbey, and she went into labor. The monks at the abbey had to help the king's mistress give birth. <laughs> <laughs> but gonna he had her final daughter and was starting to experience severe stomach pains, and she died in 1450 at age 28. And then her infant also died. Yeah, her her baby daughter also died at at the at the monastery. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, and actually, the story continues. So she was okay. buried with the remains of her infant, which is sweet but sad. 
The king made her a duchess after her death so she could have an over-the-top funeral. He built mm-hmm. a funerary monument for her in the abbey, and she's buried, like, in the abbey churchyard, but her heart is, was in the abbey. Aww. Yeah. But did she die from childbirth or a poison plot? <gasps> Crazy enough. This guy is really cool that did the forensic testing, some French guy. Uh, he, 2005, forensic testing confirmed she died of mercury poisoning. Although mercury was used in the beauty and health regimens at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is it? Evidence proved that it was such a huge dose that it had to be poisoning. Someone poisoned her? Think about this. This was like a 600-year-old poison plot that no one had confirmed. How did they do the for bones? I'm like, mercury would probably get in your bones. That's what I'm wondering. Like I said, I I like whenever I see science things, I'm like, like I can't read it. But you go look into it. Look into her death. Sounds interesting. I want to know about like the forensic science they use. Okay. Uh, But of course, who was the biggest suspect and still is? The king's son, Louis. I was going to say, the asshole. Yep. Yep. The king moved on pretty quickly from her to her cousin Antoinette, but he provided for their daughters, like his his and Anais's daughters. They were all legitimized and oh. got advantageous marriages. Thanks in part to Anais. The king when King Charles died, I believe it was in 1461, he left a much more powerful and wealthy France to his heir, his son, Louis XI. His son, Louis XI, still super bitter. Removed pretty much the power of women from his court. Yeah. He turned Loche, 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 which is one of the chateaux King Charles gifted Anais into a prison. That's a sword chaser, right? Yep, that's a sword chaser guy. And <laughs> every move Anais did became stuff of legend. And if we believe everything, she was just like this incredible, like, supportive woman. Not necessarily a schemer of devilish proportions. I think she was just really intelligent. Rather, I also believe she was a woman that we will honestly never know the depth of. Everything we know about her is like how the king reacted or how this or how these people reacted. We don't have any firsthand accounts from her. And she rose to unseen heights in society and lived up her short life. Her influence on French history is literally on par with Joan of Arc. But, like, also we can see why Anais was kind of... It's crazy because, like, I'd never heard of her before. Right? And Joan of Arc was canonized as a saint. So, literally, they are seen nowadays as, like, the devil and the saint of Charles VII. Oh. Yeah, it's actually, like, super... And, like, there's actually a play called uh, Joan... There's actually, like, there's a bunch of plays... And a bunch of things about, like, the comparison of them. It's really interesting. interesting. Yeah, it's just really, really cool. It's really, really cool. And, like, I mean, I love Joan of Arc, and now I really like Anais Sorel. So it's just, like, these women. And it's just, like, at least, thank God, we know about them, thanks to King Charles VII. And it's, like, the one really good thing he did (laughs) that we know about these women. I can't believe she was poisoned. Right? As the old French soldier's song goes... We must go. Anais orders it. Anais gives me all the credit. <laughs> I love her. She's so cool. Right? And I'm going to quote my sources really quick. 
Queens and Mistresses of Renaissance France by Kathleen Wellman. Amazing, amazing book. The Untold Story of a Legendary Topless Mistress Who Saved France by Dee Cunning for Vice. Also, read everything by Dee Cunning. She's so good. She's such, she's such a good history writer for Vice. I really like the name of that. Right? That uh, article. About how I read an article about how she was writing about how uh, Hatshepsut, the Egyptian queen, was like cross-dressing and, a, and like all this like really cool. Anyway, yeah, she's just really cool. Anne Sorel and the History of Toplessness by Chloe Rose Crabtree. The Scandalous Taste of Agnes Sorel by Alison Zinder. Mostly everyone just obsesses about her boobs. Look beyond that. I don't honestly think like maybe I, I do think that the way she dressed was scandalous, but like I literally don't think it's like nowadays where we if we walked around with like our boobs showing. I don't think honestly Anne Sorel became her that picture of her became a lot more popular when the free the nipple movement went around. Like oh. a picture circulated. One source I did not use was this crap biography called The Beast or The Breast and the Crotch. What? Yes, a man That's, wrote a biography about her. What? A man? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, yep, yep. I'm not even going to give you the time of day. Oh my God. That is. And also, it is kind of crazy how, like, the bigger sources. It's just, it's, it kind of made me realize, like, when we were talking about these women, this woman had an incredibly fascinating life that not much known about her here in the U.S. Like, a lot a of lot. still in French, not translated. There's a lot of, um, like, when you read about, like, men by men biographers, there's a lot of, like, they're, they're, always putting the women down and like siding with the men. Like I've noticed in history being like, Oh, this woman was like too cold or like she didn't put out enough. And like, so, you know, the man had the right to do this, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just, well, and also they're like, like when they're talking about the queen, Maria Van Joo, they're like, she was so plain. I was like, um, you mean she was like what most women would be like after giving birth to 12 kids? Like, yeah. You know? And then yeah. also, and even at the time, Marie Van and Anne Sorel were like having kids at the same time from the king. That's crazy. I hate the term plain, by the way. I hate it too. I was like, plain is what you use to describe gross yogurt, not women. <laughs> is there like another word that we could adopt? What What's the word like? Normal. No, I want to like. She was like, a beautiful sparkling peach. Thank you. Yes. She was, yeah. She was yeah. a beautiful, yeah. You know, she, was, she was a woman. Okay, so from now on, anytime we see plain, we're going to say beautiful sparkling peach. Of a woman. Yeah. Or of a person. We don't she was a beautiful sparkling yeah. peach. They were beautiful sparkling peaches. Yeah, so that was Anne Sorel. Everyone go look up pictures of her. I'm, we're going to post that, that one painting of her. Also, we're going to post a, a portrait of King Charles VII because... Boy, was he not fun to look at. <laughs> I had to look him up. He was not fun to look at. Okay, hold on. Do your happy harlot, and I'm going to look him up. King Charles the Seventh. Yep. King Charles the Seventh. Uh, I guess my happy harlot was we had a really fun, uh, like, um, New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> sorry. I'm <laughs> He's scary. I'm sorry. Is it his he nose like- the worst? His nose, like, 
cartoonishly big. Oh my god, I just I got like chills. Like I don't mean to be like a bitch, but like he just he looks like he would murder you in your sleep. Uh, <laughs> he like yeah. looks like he would like wake up and he'd be like this with his hands plotting. Right? And it's just like yeah. So I think Anais was a little angel, honestly. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. <laughs> He's just scary. Uh, oh, okay. Also, also, you can still see her tomb has been moved many times. Some of it has been desecrated, but I believe it is still at the Abbey. It's at an Abbey right now, somewhere. In her heart somewhere else. No, like her, her heart is, I believe st- like it's, it, there's all this stuff with like during the French revolution and of course the world wars. Oh. And it was a really complicated Abbey name and I couldn't say it in French. <laughs> so she's somewhere. You can still see her tomb. I saw the plaque. It was really cute. It was like the official Royal mistress. We go to France together because, you know, that one day you and I have to take a trip yep. to France together. It's going to be literally the most, like, like it's going to be the biggest, like, debaucherous historical trip ever. Oh, my God. Okay. Donate to our Patreon. Right? We're going to be so annoying when we go on tours. We're going to be like, um, no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, that's not what happened. <laughs> we'll be like on the tour with Agnes Sorrell and we'll each have like a breast exposed. We're like, we're paying homage. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like, this is a really plain woman. And we'll be like, beautiful, sparkling peach. (laughs) But yes. Okay. So happy Harlot. Um, We had an amazing um, New Year's Eve with my family, just staying in. Uh, We had, I made my kids sparkling mocktails. I just spent so much time with them. We had also had uh, root beer floats, and I let my two-year-old and my six-year-old stay up until midnight, and we did, like, little poppers, which I cleaned up like a good nature lover. I was like, I'm not just going to leave it on the ground. I got to pick it up. So that's the first thing I did at 12.01 was I scooped up poppers from the cleaning. Good job. (laughs) But, yeah, it was just, like, so special just to spend – time with my kids and they got really, really excited and I let them do things that they wouldn't normally do. And we watched soul and it was really cute. Yeah. It is really cute. It looks like you had a really fun time. Did. And yours. Um, I guess my, yeah, I, we had a good New Year's too. We just like chilled. I was like, this is the first New Year's that I really haven't, like, I haven't worked in a bar or haven't like worked in the morning and then done stuff. But like, I was just, it was kind of nice to like, just chill out. We barely made it till midnight. We like, barely we like i had to like i made you like like, i like called you i was like stay up no i was sleeping i was like wake up wake up and then um it was nice because we just like uh our bed we were able to like see the fireworks from our bed like i just like opened all the windows and opened our porch door and like we live out kind of in like the prairie so you could literally i could see like 20 to 30 different fireworks shows going off like around the state and it was yeah. really cool and then i walked out and then i heard a bunch of turkeys that's so cute <laughs> it's like turkeys and fireworks that's because there's turkeys that, that live than that. <laughs> i know there's turkeys that live in the field behind my house that's so cute and and by contrast i was like we were in the forest like on the mountain so like alfred my son was just like mama i hear the fireworks where are they i'm like i'm sorry honey like, there's too many the trees, trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's He's the one good thing that. about having no trees is that we could see the fireworks but anyways we want to say thank you for listening yes thank you so much um happy new, happy year. new year 
Don't like remember s- screw resolutions like Emily intentions. said. There you yeah, go. Setting intentions, not resolutions. And like okay, yes, yes. I'll get things. I'll get things. I'll get things. Okay. Well, we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hi, Harlots. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Harlots of History. If you like what you heard today, please go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep bringing you more salacious, scandalous harlots. Our music is Nia Proxis, Frank Riddick by Lloyd Rogers from freemusicarchive.com. And our cover art and editing is by us. Woohoo! <laughs> we love suggestions, tips, tricks, or just salacious details you think are interesting. So please reach out to us on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast or on Twitter at History Harlots or email us at Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, be a harlot, not a hater. Bye. Bye.